0: So, most people uh, most people in the world would agree to this. Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. Uh, I'm not really sure, but wherever you find yourself, most people a- agree that there is this kind of universal code of conduct that we all kind of, kind of ascribe to. Um, and we study this from ancient civilizations and ancient cultures to as far back as we can study. There's this kind of acceptance of this universal code of conduct that we all kind of ascribe to. And, and uh, we would say it this way, it's a universal uh, ought. It's the universal ought to which we hold. And real, we kind of hold uh, um, maybe our, our, ourselves to them. We, we, you know, when we do something wrong, um, it, it's the thing that, that's inside of us that we kind of. Uh, it clicks in our conscience that makes us have to apologize. I've, I've, I've done something wrong, and although I don't want to apologize, I need to apologize because I've done something that's wrong enough, so I've got to go apologize. Or maybe it's the thing that, 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 that we feel like, you know, I, I don't want to have to do these things. I ought not do that thing, or I ought do that thing. It, it's, it's a universal ought. It, it's, it's that thing that kind of sits outside of us that tells us uh, what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. What's really interesting about this is that sometimes we hold ourselves to this, but, but what we always do, and this is a kind of an, an all skate for everybody. The, the playing field is very level here. What we all do is we all not just hold ourselves accountable, but we all hold others accountable, don't we? I mean, isn't this true of you that if, if somebody were to wrong you, you definitely hold them accountable, but when we do something wrong, somehow we, we, we find an excuse, we can come up with a reason, well, I had to, I, I, I had to, to do this thing, I had to, to get my own way. We, we hold other people accountable to this, and we reach out, and we leverage that, and, and we make sure that, that they're held accountable, but we don't always hold ourselves accountable to it. it, it it's interesting. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but did you know that, that liars, liars don't like to be lied to? They really don't. And they might say, you know, but but I, ha- I had to, to stretch the truth. I had to twist it. I had to say what I had to say because, I, you know, I, I had to get my own way. Or I had to make sure I didn't get in trouble. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you ever lie to me, right? I, I don't want to be lied to even though I, I'm the liar. Liars don't like to be lied to. And I bet you, you didn't know this, but thieves don't like to be stolen from. I mean, they might break into your house and and steal something from you, but if, but don't you dare break into the house and steal from them. That's not how the world works. That's, I mean, they don't just sit back and say, hey, that's okay. I bet you didn't know this, but thieves called the cops on other thieves. They do. Thieves don't like to be stolen from. Cheaters don't like to be cheated on. And, and if you're, you're the type of person who says, you know, I, I don't do that guilt thing. I, I just, I don't do guilt. I, I don't like guilt. I, you know, I, I just don't roll with that. What's interesting is that that, that people who feel that way, it's, it's, It's this this sense of I don't want the responsibility, I don't want to be wrong. That means that everybody else has to be wrong so that you can be right. Have you ever thought about that? Let let me say it this way people people who don't do guilt are adamant regarding the guilt of others. I, I may never be guilty, but because I'm never guilty, that means that you are guilty all the time. There's a hypocrisy in this, and this is what we do. We reach out and we leverage this universal set of right and wrongs. And sometimes we use it to make an excuse for ourselves so we can feel better about ourselves. But we always hold other people accountable to that set of universal oughts, of what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. This is the hypocrisy. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian alike, this is the hypocrisy for all of us. We all kind of operate this way. The playing field is leveled. And here's something that's true for all of us. And we can't help this. We, we, for some reason, we just can't stop. We can't stop holding others accountable to an external standard we sometimes ignore ourselves. We can't. We, 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 just, we just keep doing it. And we may try, try not to. We may try to even hold ourselves to it. But when somebody does something wrong to us, we, when, when we do something wrong and we're feeling really guilty about it, we, we stretch. We're not going to hold ourselves, but we're going to make sure we hold them to it. And this whole, this whole feeling of ought, ought to do and ought not to do and holding other people accountable, this kind of underscores the arrival of Jesus. This underscores the, the arrival of Jesus as we talked about last week was really, really good news. It was good news. And as we said last week, for for some people, there's this resistance to Christianity. And and the resistance to Christianity really revolves around one question, and maybe this is you. And if it is you, I encourage you, watch last week's message because we tackled this. But maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe you struggle with this question. Is it true? Is Christianity true? But what we're finding more and more often, and maybe this is more where you find yourself, is that that's not the question a lot of people are asking. The question more people are asking now is this. Is it good? Is Christianity good? Is, is it good for me? Is it good for society? Is it, is it good for my family? Is, is it good for, for our community? I, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I don't know that it's good anymore. I, I've seen some harm. I've seen some people do, do some crazy, extreme things. I'm not sure that, that, that it's good. I, I don't think that it might be. And if you find yourself sitting there, if you find yourself answering the question that way, I want to challenge you that maybe you never really came in contact with the original story, with the original good news. Because the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the message of his life, it was good news. And if you at any point in your life can look back and say, yeah, but it doesn't feel good, then maybe you didn't come into contact with the original good news. The good news that was good news of great joy, and then here's the part that, that, we're, that people just seem to wrestle with, that at least the first culture wrestled with. It was good news of great joy for all people. Seriously, all people. Well, I mean, was it really for all people? Is Jesus' birth really good news for all people? and if it is really good news for all people, then and here's where we're going to go in week three, so you don't want to miss next week, then why is there so much resistance to it? Why is there so much resistance to this idea of Jesus and what Jesus could do for the world, what Jesus did for the world? Why doesn't everybody kind of lean into it like they did with the original version? The original version of good news, we call it the gospel, right? That's what we call it, the gospel. It's, it's that kind of good news. The gospel was two English words that were brought together that really just mean this, the good story. I know we're, we're really creative with our titles here, right? In the Greek, they called it the euangelion. It was the good story. And if you can look back in your experiences with Jesus, with the message of Jesus, and say, I don't know that it's good, then my guess is that you have never heard the real version. You've never heard the original version. That somewhere along the line, somebody uh, uh, modeled it for you or told you or taught you the wrong thing. And my hope is this Christmas season, Maybe you would take a step back. Maybe, maybe you would even enter back into your faith as you begin to experience the original good news that was for you, that was for me. You see, Jesus' message, it caught on because many people were leaning in. Many people wanted to be a part of it. Luke told us that, that, that many people wanted to put an account together of, of this incredible story of the life and the events of Jesus. Luke, as we dove in last week, he tells us this, Now, I love, I love the scripture. He says, the law and the prophets, that is the, the Old Testament. The, we would call it the Old Testament, although to, to the Hebrew people, it was their scripture. It was their holy text, their Bible. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Th- that is, they were proclaimed until John the Baptist. These, these Hebrew scriptures that were good news for the, the, the ancient Hebrew people, it wasn't really good news for anybody else and it was being taught, it was being preached, it was being proclaimed all the way up until the time that John the Baptist stepped on the pages of history. And when John the Baptist stepped out, he started talking about this new thing that God wanted to do. And then Jesus stepped on the pages of history on the banks of the Jordan River as an adult. And Luke tells us that since that time, since the time that John the Baptist started talking, since the time that Jesus stepped on the stage, since that time, the good news that is the real good news. This new thing Jesus is doing. It's not the law and the prophets because we didn't, the, we, didn't, the law and the prophets were kind of the backstory. It's not the Bible. And maybe that's what you think it is. Well, the good news is it's the Bible. The Bible wasn't even written yet. There was no Bible. The good news of the kingdom of God, this new thing God's doing, this new kingdom that God's creating and establishing, these new values he's introducing are being preached. And they get this, everyone, everyone who hears it, everyone who experiences it, everyone who witnesses it, everyone who, who heard one of the teachings, everyone is kind of leaning in. Everyone is forcing their way into it. You see, it was such good news that everybody wanted it to be true. But isn't that true of us? When we hear news that, that, that we don't like, bad news, we really hope it's not true, don't we? But when we hear news that is true, we hope it's true. We, we want to believe it's true. This audience wanted to believe it was true, whether they even truly believed or truly understood who Jesus was. They wanted to believe it's true, and maybe, maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. I, I don't know that I believe. I don't know that I can roll with this Christian thing. I don't know that I can roll with this with this church thing. I, I, I don't know about all that. But that story, like, wow! I mean, I just I want to believe it's true. It's just amazing. I, I hope it's true, but I, I'm just not sure. You see, the, the original message, the good news, it was compelling. And because it was compelling, it was worth telling. And so his story was told. What made the good news so good? And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. What made the good news so good is that it kind of leveled the playing field for all of humanity. It's a, it's a little bit disturbing, and it's really appropriately humbling for, for all those people who thought they were, they were already good enough, who, who thought they didn't need anything else. It was very disturbing for them. But it was humbling for the people who thought, you know what, I know I'm not good enough. I'm that person who reaches out to that universal, you know, those oughts of what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. I'm the person that when I do something wrong, I don't hold myself accountable. When somebody else does something wrong, I hold them accountable. I know I've fallen short. I've fallen short of my standard. I'm short of your standard. I'm short of this universal standard of right and wrong. And so the playing field was leveled. He said, you see, I'm here for all. You see, what's interesting about this this good news of Jesus is that it shows all of us that we aren't so good, that we aren't that good, that all of us have room to grow, that all of us have made a mistake, that all of us, to use the words in the gospel, have fallen short. I, I couldn't think of a more compelling example as to where the playing field was leveled than... Uh, Something I I witnessed recently, February 21st, uh, Billy Graham, Evangelist Billy Graham, you probably have heard of him. He was called America's pastor. He was this phenomenal preacher and evangelist. He preached to millions of people around the world and talked about Jesus and how to, to, to be a part of Jesus and to follow Jesus into the kingdom of God and into heaven. He was this amazing man, and on February 21st, he died. His funeral was scheduled for for March 2nd in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, If you've seen pictures or you can actually view the, the memorial service online, uh, only about a thousand people were invited, and they could each bring a guest. So they're sitting under this tent with it has about two thousand people, and it's like it's like a who's who of Christianity, a who's who of the world. Really, there were the famous preachers and singers and musicians. There was really famous uh, uh, journalists. There was foreign dignitaries, heads of state. The president was in attendance. All of these these amazingly famous people, but but on that day, in that environment, nobody. Was anybody special? N- nobody was anybody special because everybody was there for Billy Graham. Billy, I mean, you might be, be somebody famous, but you're not Billy Graham. I, I, just think about this. In 1973, Billy Graham uh, had his largest crusade ever in Seoul, South Korea, or Seoul, South Korea. It, it, and in this amazing crusade, 1.1 million people attended. That, that isn't watched on TV or watched online. Like in 1973, some of you probably weren't even here, we didn't have the internet. They attended. If you haven't seen these pictures, I'm giving you permission right now. Pause this broadcast. Open up another window or another tab. Google Billy Graham Seoul, South Korea, and look at those pictures. It is amazing to see the amount of people that came to hear him speak. We talk about, about, you know, large churches and large ministries. and Yeah, you know, I'm good, and I have this. Yes, 1.1 million people in one service came to hear Billy Graham speak. I mean, it just made everybody feel less than. It didn't matter how how famous people were in that moment. They they were all famous people coming in, but but in that moment, they weren't really that famous because there was somebody over there who was more famous and someone over there who was even more famous. There was nobody to be famous for anymore. They they, they may have had more fans or more followers, but but on that day, everyone fell short of the glory of Billy Graham because that's who they were there to celebrate. And immediately, the the, the playing field was leveled. Peter, you've heard of the Apostle Peter. Peter starts off his journey with Jesus as a fisherman, and and Luke tells us this incredible story of Jesus' first encounter with Peter. Jesus is teaching on the sides of of a lake, and uh, he's teaching, and there's just crowds of people, as there's always crowds of people, because everyone's kind of leaning into this amazing message, this amazing man who's teaching. Peter's out fishing, and uh, the story with Luke, it kind of picks up this way, and this is just an amazing thing, because Peter, he's known in the community, right? He's a good man, he's a, he's a reliable man, he's a good family man, he's got brothers, he's a good brother, he's, he's a good man in the community. All of those things, but on this day, something changes. Luke tells us this, one day, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, as they always did. There's always crowds of people leaning in to this message of Jesus, And they were listening to the word of God. Now, this phrase, word of God, is a really interesting phrase because what it doesn't say there is they were listening to the word of God being taught. Jesus was teaching, but what's interesting is he wasn't teaching the word of God because the word of God wasn't written yet, right? The the, the Bible, as we would think of the word of God, it's not happening. And he's not teaching the law and the prophets because that's his backstory to why he's here. He's literally teaching the words of God. The word of God, Jesus was teaching the words of God. It's like, and Luke almost gives us this indication, uh, looking back on these events after the resurrection of Jesus, it's almost like everybody who was there listening to him teach that day, just kind of awestruck after his resurrection to realize, wait a second, that day I thought we were just listening to, to like this cool rabbi tell this cool story, but no, 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 we, we weren't just listening to a story. We were listening to the very words of God. I mean, how amazing is that? Jesus teaching these people, delivering the very words of God. Jesus teaching them. He sees, he sees at the water's edge. The story goes on. He sees at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. The fishermen would typically fish during the night because at night the the water would cool down and fish would come to the surface to feed. So they would head out in their boats and they would take their nets and throw it out and they would fish and they would pull in as many fish as they could at night. But once the sun came up, the water warmed up and the fish would go deeper. So they would come back to the shores. When the sun rose, they would lay their nets out on the on the beach, they'd clean out all the seaweed, all, you know, all the beer cans from you know, the night before and make sure all, all, all the dead fish are out and they let the nets dry out and then they'd roll up their nets and they'd fold them and they'd, they'd put them back in their boat. Jesus is teaching and he looks over and he sees these boats and these fishermen are, are out there doing this very thing. They're, they're, they're already done fishing. This is, this is morning now, right? The, the, the nets are out. Some of them are drying. They may even be rolling their nets up ready to put them away. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, who's also Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Peter, take me out a little bit so I I can see all the people. And then the people aren't crowding against me and pushing against me. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now imagine being Peter. He's had a long night. He's tired. He doesn't really want to have to go back out. But you know, this is a rabbi and rabbis are very respected people. And I guess I'll do this for you. But he's there. He's got no place to go. He can't bail. He can't you know, skip out on the message and go grab lunch. He's kind of stuck. And he's probably there fiddling with his nets, folding it up. Jesus keeps teaching. He keeps teaching and he keeps teaching. And when he's done with his teaching, I'm sure Peter's thinking, all right, now I can finally like row back in, get this guy out of my boat so I can go home and sleep because I have to go fishing again tonight. Jesus is done teaching. Then he looks over at Peter and says, hey, Peter, would you take me fishing? Peter, take me fishing. And I don't know exactly what Peter's thinking. No one really knows what Peter's thinking, but, but I, I kind of guess if it were me, I would think, seriously, man, I've been fishing all night. I'm tired. I don't want to fish. We, we've done this, and, and now's not the, like, this is the wrong time to go fishing. All the fish are, are, are back down deep, and we're not going to catch anything. Maybe he didn't think that. Maybe what he thought was, well, you know, this is a rabbi. He's kind of a cool guy with a cool story. I mean, it was an amazing teaching. I've never gone fishing with a rabbi before. Maybe let's go fishing with a rabbi. Either way, Jesus, or Peter, rather, he appeases Jesus, and... He brings Jesus out further. They go fishing. They, they cast their nets out. They pull them in, and, and there's a bunch of fish. And They do it again, and there's a bunch of fish. And, they, and, and they, they keep fishing until there's so many fish in the boat. The boat begins to sink. And I don't know exactly what happened in, in those moments. I don't know exactly when it dawned on Peter, but, but something dawns on Peter, and he makes this incredible statement. It's like Peter is in, in one moment just kind of awestruck, by this. He, he's kind of made completely self-aware. He looks out in the midst of this boat, completely filled with fish, with this rabbi who just taught this incredible message. And Peter's overwhelmed with self-awareness. He sees himself, maybe in a new way, maybe in a very raw, raw, raw way, in an unfiltered way, he realizes for the first time that he's not okay with what he sees. I, I was okay before this moment. I was okay with the world, but, but now I'm not. I'm not okay with me. I'm not okay with, with who I am. I, I'm not, I don't feel right about myself. Before this, Peter was above average. Before this, Peter was, you know, he was the respected man of the community. But in this moment, none of that mattered anymore. Luke tells us when Simon Peter saw this, When he saw the fish, when he he for a moment maybe realized who he was fishing with, the fish, the fishing, the fishing business, the crowds on the shore, all of that became inconsequential. He felt out of balance. His world was out of balance, and he was not okay with who he saw in himself. When Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees in the boat. He fell at his knees, and he makes this incredible statement that I absolutely love. He says, Go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. To which we would say, Peter, come on. Like, you're being hard on yourself. You didn't sin. You did the right thing, right? Jesus asked to go in your boat and you said yes. And then he asked to go fishing and you said yes. Like, you didn't sin. You were doing the right thing. To which Peter would say, I didn't say I sinned. I said, I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinner. Peter would say, I'm a sinful man. What I realized in that moment is I am not okay with who I am. I am not okay with, 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 with who I see in the mirror. I'm not okay with myself. And I don't know why, but in the, in the presence of this man, in the presence of this rabbi, I realize how out of balance my world is and how out of balance I am. And I'm not okay with that. Another way of saying it is this. He would basically say this, Jesus, I need you to go away so that I can feel okay about myself, You see, before you came along, Jesus, I felt okay. And now that you're here, I don't feel okay. My world is rocked. Go away so I can feel okay about myself again. And in this moment where Peter realizes in all of his self-awareness how broken he is, how, how messed up he is, how much of a sinful man he is, Jesus looks down at Peter and he says this, Peter, don't be afraid. Jesus could have gone on, couldn't he? Couldn't he said, yeah, Peter, you're right. You're a sinful man. But let me tell you, this isn't even the worst of it. Your your biggest sins, they're yet to come. Peter, I'm going to take you on a journey and you're going to do things that men have only dreamed about. You're going to see things that the world's been waiting for for thousands of years. And then at the end of it all, you're going to deny you ever knew me. You're going to deny all of these events. Peter, at the end of it all, you're going to sin your greatest sin. You're a sinful man. But here's the thing, Peter. That's why I came. For sinful men. Now, Peter, follow me. And together, we're going to leave a lasting mark in this world. We're going to introduce this world to the new kingdom of God. See, the kingdoms of this world, it's all about power. It's all about prestige. It's all about prominence. But the kingdoms of God... See, that's, that's good news. That's good news. That is, the, the, the kingdom of God is about a new kingdom. The kingdom of God is about a new kind of king. Not like the kings of this world, but, but a new kind, Peter. Peter, I, I, here's the thing. I'm going away, but I'm, I'm going to take you with me. And together, we're going to do the unimaginable. We're going to leave our lasting mark on Western civilization. We're going to change the world. And that's the good news. Immediately, playing field level. So they pulled up their boats. They left everything. And Peter followed him. And it changed the world forever. See, here's an interesting thought. What makes the good news so good is that we aren't so good. We aren't so good. We're all in some ways broken. We're all in some ways a a, a little messed up. We've done things that are wrong. We've done things that that we shouldn't have done. We we, we held people accountable to things that we wouldn't hold ourselves accountable to. We've all fallen short of our own expectations. We've all fallen short of, of that elusive sense of right and wrong. And we hold other people accountable to this, but we don't hold ourselves accountable to it. And what does that make us? It makes us a bunch of hypocrites. We give ourselves enough, but we don't give other people enough. We are all falling short. In some ways, we do this, and we don't even do it on accident, do we? We say, well, you know, it was a mistake. I did this thing, and it was wrong. And, it, you know, she did this, and it was a mistake. And then the question is, really? Like, this is her fourth time doing it. Is, is, that, is it still a mistake if you do it four times? Well, it was a mistake. Yeah, but but you thought about it and you premeditated it and you decided to do it anyway. Is, is it still a mistake if if you think about it and you plan it and you scheme it? I think Jesus said, no, 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 You're like come on, let, let's be honest. That's not a mistake. Let's call it what it is. It's a sin. But when you intentionally plan and premeditate to do something that's going to hurt somebody else or hurt hurt a company or hurt somebody you care about, that's not a, a mistake. It's a sin. You're not a bunch of mistakers. You're a bunch of sinners. Peter said, I, I, I'm a sinful man. Jesus, in your presence, I know who I am. You've probably heard of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul steps onto the, to, to the pages of history as, as a man who, who would make these radical claims about himself. He, he would say this. He, he would say, you know, if, if anybody was good, I was good. I was like the best of the best. Like, who's, who's got two thumbs and it's perfect? This guy. Like, that's Paul. I was the best of the best. I, I was a meticulous law keeper. I followed the law of Moses. I knew how to make God happy. I, I could out-Pharisee any Pharisee. I could out-Hebrew any Hebrew. I mean, I just don't know how else to say it. Like, guys, I was just like pretty much perfect. I was amazing. I was the best of the best. And then Paul encounters Jesus. And how does a Paul who encountered Jesus begin to describe himself? He would say it this way. He would say, I am the chief of sinners. Wait a second, Paul. How, how do you go from describing yourself as the best of the best to the worst of the worst? Like, how does it go from, from I'm pretty much perfect to now I'm the chief of sinners? And Paul would say, because I encountered a risen Jesus. I encountered God in a body. And in that moment, I realized who I really am. I saw who I really am. I knew who I really was. Paul, Paul would say it this way, and he says it, this in uh, the book of Romans, this letter to the, the, the Roman church. And when he says this, he's not, this isn't like him pointing the finger and wagging his finger at you like like you're all this. He said, no, no, this is me. I'm, I'm the chief among you. I'm the worst. He says, for all have sinned. For all of us have sinned, every one of us. There isn't one who can say they haven't. All of us have sinned, beginning with me, he would say. All have sinned and all have fallen short. We don't just fall short of our, our standards. We fall short of other people's standards. We all fall short of that, uh, of that sense of ought to do and ought not to do. We, we all fall short. We definitely fall short of, of God's standards, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us can say we haven't. Not one of us can escape that. We've all fallen short. All of us have made mistakes. That's an all skate. That's leveling the playing field. And that's, I guess, the bad news about the good news. But he doesn't end there. Paul goes on. And he says, just as, just as we've all fallen short, All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He he then gives us the good news of the good news. And all are justified. All of us are justified. That is, all of us are made right, not by our own doing. It wasn't something we did. There's nothing we could do to make ourselves right to a holy God. This holy God had to do something for us. It wasn't like we got a second chance and we made ourselves right. No, we were saved from it. We were, we were made right by God. We, we were justified by something that this God had to do for us, that, that this, this God who sits outside of us, this holy God, had to do something for us. We were all justified. You see, promising to do better, and this is what, what our, our habit is, well, I, I can just fix this the next time. I, I, made, I made a mistake this time, but I can fix it the next time. I'll, I'll promise to do better. You see, promising d- doesn't help us. Promising doesn't fix it. Promising doesn't justify us, but we, we like to think it does. Here's the problem with promising. Promising doesn't fix it now. I might promise to never break your window again, but it doesn't fix the window I broke now. I might promise to never do that again, but it doesn't solve the problem with what I've done right now. We can make promises, we can can try to to commit to it, but we've all fallen short of God's standard. You see, this is why we need more than just a second chance. This is why we need more than than just uh, um, a promise. This is why we needed a Savior. Somebody who could do something about what we have done in our past and about what we're going to do in our future. All are justified, he would say, by the grace, freely rather, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, the birth of Jesus, it was really good news. It was really good news of great joy for all people because we all share this same thing. We all share something in common. We all fall short. We've all sinned. We've all been invited, though, to embrace the same solution. at this uh, funeral service for Billy Graham. His daughter, Ruth Graham, um, it was my, my, really my favorite part of the, the whole service. Uh, Billy Graham had five kids, and Ruth was his middle daughter, and all the kids got up to spoke, and then Ruth gets up, and, and her story is just fantastic. I, I, I don't know this for sure, but you kind of get the sense she's like the, the hippie of the kids, and I've never met Ruth, and if I did, I'd have to I'd have to apologize for it, but you just get the sense by how she's talking. She gives us this, this amazing story that I just want to read from. you. You can find this online, so I'm just going to read it from my notes, but Here's what she has to say about her father at her father's funeral. I found this absolutely brilliant. She says, I've learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story, but I have my own Billy Graham story. So I'm gonna tell you that one. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce and I was devastated. I floundered, I did wrong. The rug was pulled out from underneath me. My family thought it would be a good idea if I moved far away and get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family, near a really good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they're almost grown. What do they know? They couldn't tell me what to do. I I mean, I know what's best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. And they said, honey, why, why don't you slow down? <clears throat> let us, let, let us like, wait and get to know this man. But they'd never been a single parent. They'd never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I had made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled, and I was afraid of him. And now what was I going to do? I wanted to talk to my father, and I wanted to talk to my mother. It was a two day drive and questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to my daddy? What was I going to say to my mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. And what were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You have embarrassed us. And then she said this Let me tell you, you, you women will understand this. You don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. She continued, many of you know, we we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend into my father's driveway. My father was standing there for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me. And he simply said this, welcome home. No shame, no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin and our brokenness and our failure, our pain and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And then she said this, and that invitation is open to all of you. No blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. You know, when a a cure is found for a disease, the people who rejoice the most are the people who have that disease. They're the people who cry out for joy. When Jesus offered his grace to the world, it was the people who knew they needed his grace that were most grateful. And and maybe a year ago, you would hear this message and it would just kind of bounce off you and, and you wouldn't pay any mind to it. But maybe in this moment, maybe after the year you had, maybe after the mistake you made, maybe after what happened last week, for some reason today, this just, hits home. That's me. All my sin, all my baggage, all my shame. Today, that invitation is available to you. And I want you to know that your heavenly father stands there with open arms and he's not ready to to read a list of all your wrongs and go through your shame and, and, and force you to carry a burden. He's there with open arms saying, welcome home. So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to basically make this a sticky point in your life where you can always look back and say, I remember that day. I remember saying that prayer. I remember for the first time feeling like like there was somebody who cared about me regardless of what I had done with all my mistakes and all my baggage. I want you to look back on today and say, I said that prayer. And I invited Jesus into my life. God, if the offer still stands... If you still want me, I'm coming home. So here's what I'd like you to do. Here's the prayer, and we're going to say this together. Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. I am more than a mistake, or I am a sinner who needs a Savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. If that's you, no matter where you are, if you're listening to this in the car later, or you're you're watching this later in the week, maybe you're watching this Sunday morning, you're with me. I want you to be still, and I want you to be silent for a moment. I want you to say this prayer, maybe for the first time in your life. Maybe you said this prayer before years and years ago, but but you just couldn't wrap your mind around this thing being true or this thing being good. But today you realized it is good, and I want it to be true. Would you make it true in your life right now? Would you say this prayer with me? I'm going to ask you right now, would you repeat these words after me? Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. I am more than a mistaker. I am a sinner who needs a Savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know if you made that decision, you made the greatest decision of your life. The scriptures tell us that all of heaven rejoices when one person decides to make their life right with Jesus, decides to follow Jesus out of their sin and out of their baggage into his new kingdom. Today, you are a part of that family and you are a part of our family. I would love for you to let me know that you made that decision. I'd love for you to answer any questions you might have. Would you let us know that you said that prayer? Head out to our website. Let us know you're there. If you're on our broadcast, let us know in the comments. We'll reach out to you, answer any questions and help you with your next steps. I love you. I say this every week. I love you. and There is nothing you can do about it. The greatest joy you can experience this Christmas season is experiencing the good news of great joy for all people, even you. I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Have a phenomenal week and join me back here next week for part three, the conclusion of our Christmas series. Christmas, it's all good. God bless.